Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So there was this huge international climate summit a few weeks ago in Morocco. Nearly all the countries in the world were represented there. But the summit ended up getting totally dominated by one guy in particular. He wasn't even there. This week on Parts Per Billion, we tell you who that guy is. Although, to be honest, I think you can probably guess who we're talking about. Hello and welcome to Parts Per Billion, Bloomberg BNA's bi-weekly environmental policy podcast. I'm your host, David Schultz, and I'm here with Parts Per Billion co-producer, Marissa Horn. Hi, Marissa. Hello. So a few weeks ago, the nations of the world gathered in Marrakesh, Morocco, to address the issue of climate change. It was the first big international meeting on the topic since the landmark Paris summit a year earlier, where, for the first time, world leaders pledged to significantly reduce their country's carbon emissions. And the timing here is really important. The Morocco conference came a year after Paris, but it also came just days after the election of Donald Trump as our next president. I think it's safe to say this sent major shockwaves to folks on all sides of this issue. Now, if you're a loyal listener to our podcast, and I don't really see why you wouldn't be, you might remember way back in April of this year, we talked to Bloomberg BNA climate reporter Dean Scott about the next steps after Paris and about how the presidential election would impact the ensuing climate talks in Morocco. At that time, Hillary Clinton was pretty far ahead in the polls, and people were wondering what her administration would do with the International Climate Treaty. People look at that and say, well, that's not as interesting, because isn't it, you know, as a reporter, wouldn't it be more interesting to cover uh, uh, President Trump trying to wrestle with climate change? Would he really want to thumb his nose at uh, the rest of the world and the Paris Agreement that the administration just signed? Well, everyone, you got your wish. We're about to find out how Trump will handle climate change. I spoke with Dean about what happened in Morocco and what might happen in the lead up to next year's climate talks in Germany. He says even though we're still weeks away from the inauguration day, the Donald already had a big impact on this year's climate talks. The main objective was one year after the Paris Agreement to actually begin to implement it. In other words, the Paris Agreement has a number of goals and uh, objectives to reduce greenhouse gas emissions over the coming decades and keep global temperature rise to no more than two degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels. So what they really wanted to do is two things in, in Morocco. One was get that process started, start implementing that, that agreement. And number two, get a sort of roadmap for how they would get there, the key uh, year that they're shooting for or that they need to prepare for is 2018 when they will actually do their first sort of review of what the countries have put on the table 
to pledge in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions and how far along they are in terms of being successful in that effort. So you spoke with Jonathan Pershing, who's the lead U.S. negotiator in this process, and he pointed out that the Paris Agreement from last year sets out the goals for reducing climate change, but countries can choose to meet those goals in any way that they want. Suppose we currently have, as we do, the Clean Power Plan. Suppose the next administration decides it wants to do something different. It has recourse within this deal to make changes. So is he basically saying the Trump administration can roll back all of the Obama climate initiatives and not technically violate or tear up the Paris Agreement? What I think Jonathan was doing there was telegraphing to President-elect Trump that there is some flexibility here in terms of that it's built into the Paris Agreement. In other words, the U.S. has a pledge that it put on the table in the run-up to the 2015 Paris deal that basically said it would cut its emissions 26 to 28 percent uh, by 2025. So sometime over the next decade, more than a quarter reduction. Now, as to how it gets there, it's up to the U.S. and for other countries, all the countries that put pledges on the table, to decide how to do that. So in Jonathan's example, he's making the case that the power plant carbon pollution limits that the Obama administration put on the table that it doesn't necessarily, the U.S. doesn't have to have those power plant rules to get there. Um, the, the problem uh, with, with that approach or that, that uh, view is that a lot of policymakers really question how the U.S. is going to get that level of reduction without getting one of the three major uh, emitters in the United States, uh, the production of electricity from mostly coal coal-fired power plants or a mixture of coal-fired power plants, natural gas, and, and some renewables. Pershing also talked about this thing called the Moroccan Proclamation, which was essentially a pledge from all the countries at the conference that they were still committed to this process and more generally to combating climate change. And he said the Trump election actually motivated the negotiations to make this document stronger than it would have been otherwise. I think it would have been a very different document had the U.S. election not happened. I think it might have been a softer characterization. I think it would have been more of a work plan document. So what's the deal with this? Did the Trump election actually galvanize the international climate negotiators to take bolder action? Or was this just putting a positive spin on a difficult situation? The answer to that is probably both. So it was both a political document that people didn't expect to see this this Marrakesh proclamation from nearly 200 countries to say, look, we we're, we see what's happened in the U.S. We're in a post-election environment here in Morocco, and we want to send a signal that we're not just here to uh, go about the business of implementing the Paris Agreement without acknowledging that there's been this uh, major question raised in terms of Trump's commitment to uh, continuing with the Paris Agreement. In fact, he, Trump basically said during the campaign that he would try to cancel the deal, which basically means U.S. participation. He doesn't have the authority to cancel the actual Paris Agreement, which is between those nearly 200 countries. And there are a couple ways in which the proclamation, this political document, came out um, at the end of the uh, of COP22, the Conference of the Parties meeting that was held in Morocco. And one was to state emphatically that the momentum for addressing climate change is irreversible. 
this momentum is irreversible, and that they call on the highest political commitment to combat climate change as a matter of urgent priority. And there was also a, a recommitment of sorts to the $100 billion a year that richer developed countries have pledged to help vulnerable nations address climate change. And we're supposed to be ramping up to that level by 2020. So in that way, that could have been a paragraph or just a couple sentences in the uh, Morocco deliberations, what we call COP decisions. But instead, they took this moment to sort of put out a, a, a poster of sorts to sort of say, look, the, the rest of the world uh, remains committed to this problem. And, um, and we, we want to be very clear that we all stand behind the agreement that that the countries reached in Paris almost a year ago. You also spoke with environmental activists who were in Morocco. Mariana Ponencio Feldman with the World Wildlife Federation was striking a, well, it could have been worse tone. I think that we just need to, you know, take stock of the fact that five years ago, uh, such a stress test might not have yielded what we got here. And what we got here was resolved. Again, is this just a positive spin? Is Mariana really just saying, hey, it wasn't a total disaster. Let's declare that a victory. Who are the real winners and losers from this conference? Well, one of the accidents of history here is the period that she's talking about, say, five years ago, uh, we were just coming out of almost a disaster in Copenhagen where they were hoping to get a global agreement. Obama was just in, in office at that point. And they ran into a lot of hurdles, including, um, well, China was basically reluctant to sign on to anything that was be perceived as uh, binding on its sovereignty. And um, that was also a concern, frankly, for the Obama administration. They weren't there to, to negotiate a binding deal either on climate change. So I think what she's getting at is, we are lucky in the sense from climate advocates and the way they see this is that we have a Paris deal. So now we have this, this global agreement and we have an agreement where the U.S. might be withdrawing. It might even just be stepping away from this in some way that we don't quite understand yet. But we're not in the same position we were in uh, nearly 16 years ago when President George W. Bush withdrew us from, informally from the Kyoto Protocol. At that point, we didn't have a global agreement that had China and India and Brazil and all of the large emitters and, and rapidly growing emitters uh, from the developing world. Right. So what we have with Paris is we have a deal with all the major developed and developing countries, and we just have the U.S. basically its, its commitment being questioned. So Morocco is in the books. Let's look ahead to next year's conference in Bonn, Germany. What needs to happen at that conference to keep these countries on track to meet their long-term pledges, and what could potentially derail the process in the lead-up to Bonn? Well, it's interesting. What we'll know this time next year will be everything that people are wondering today, which is, will President-elect Trump and, and a Republican Congress basically go after the U.S. participation in the Paris Agreement? Will we be formally withdrawn from the Paris Agreement? Or will they even target the U United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is the parent treaty to the Paris Agreement? And there has been some talk that they would even go to that 
extent, although it, that, that, that approach is seen somewhat as extreme. So what we'll know next year at this time is, did uh, President-elect Trump withdraw or, or essentially decide not to fight in court over the power plant carbon pollution limits that EPA has put forward? Uh, does it uh, renege on the pledge to reduce greenhouse gas emissions up to 28% over the next decade? And is it part of the process? Is it even going to be at the table in Bonn, Germany? So we will know all of those answers this time next year. Bloomberg BNA climate reporter Dean Scott. For more of his reporting on climate issues overseas and here in Washington, visit our website at bna.com. Parts Per Billion was produced by myself with help from Jessica Combs and Rachel Daigle. Oh, and David helped out too, a little bit. The theme song for Parts Per Billion is a message by Jazar. It was used under a Creative Commons attribution share alike license. More information can be found at betterwithmusic.com. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.